Chapter Two of Tea and Tea Drinking. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tea and Tea Drinking by Alfred Reed. Chapter Two The Cultivation of Tea. Description of the Tea Plant Indigenous to China. Introduced into India. Work in a tea garden. Tea gatherers in China. A Chinese tea ballad. How tea is cured. How the value of tea is determined. The tea plant formerly occupied a place of honor in every gentleman's greenhouse. But as it requires much care and possesses little beauty, it is now rarely seen. Linnaeus, the Swedish naturalist, was greatly pleased at a specimen presented to him in 1763, but was unable to keep it alive. Dr. Edward Smith describes the plant as being closely allied to the camellias, but states that the leaf is more pointed, is lance-shaped, and not so thick and hard as that of the camellia. Dr. King Chambers suggests the spending of an afternoon at a classified collection of living economic plants, such, for instance, as that at the Botanical Gardens, Regent's Park. It is much pleasanter, he points out, to think of tea as connected with the pretty little camellia it comes from than with blue paper packets and the despised grounds which forever after acquire an interest in our minds. The tea plant, although cultivated in various parts of the East, is probably indigenous to China, but is now grown extensively in India. In consequence of the poorness of the quality of the tea imported by the East India Company, and the necessity of avoiding an entire dependence upon China, the Bengal government appointed, in 1834, a committee for the purpose of submitting a plan for the introduction and cultivation of the tea plant and a visit to the frontier station of Upper Assam ended in a determination on the part of the government to cultivate tea in that region. In 1840, the Assam Company was formed, and it is claimed for them that they possess the largest tea plantation in the world. Some idea of the progress of tea cultivation in India may be gathered from the following official figures. In 1850, there was one tea estate, that of the Assam Company, with 1,876 acres under cultivation, yielding 216,000 pounds. In 1870, there were 295 proprietors of tea estates, with 31,303 acres under cultivation, yielding 6,251,000 one hundred and forty three pounds in eighteen seventy two through eighteen seventy three the area of land held by tea planters covered eight hundred and four thousand five hundred and eighty two acres of which about seventy five thousand were under cultivation yielding fourteen million six hundred and seventy thousand one hundred and seventy one pounds of tea the average yield per acre being 208 pounds. 
every year thousands of acres are being brought under cultivation and in a short time it seems likely that we shall be independent of china for our supplies of tea in the year eighteen seventy nine through eighteen eighty the exports of indian tea to great britain rose to forty million pounds and in the following year to forty two million pounds in ceylon also a proportionate increase is taking place the plant appears to be a native of the island in percival's account of ceylon published in eighteen o five occurs the following paragraph the tea plant has been discovered native in the forests of ceylon it grows spontaneously in the neighborhood of trincomalee and other northern parts of ceylon i have in my possession a letter from an officer in the eightieth regiment in which he states that he found the real tea plant in the woods of ceylon of a quality equal to any that ever grew in china a large quantity of tea is now imported from this island and new plantations it is reported are being made every month day by day more of the primeval forest goes down before the axe of the pioneer and before another quarter of a century has passed it is anticipated that the teas of our indian empire will become the most valuable of its products the cultivation of tea in india and the processes to which it is subjected after the leaf is gathered differ from those of china according to dr jameson the great difficulty of the indian tea planter arises from the wonderful fertility of the soil and the strength of the tea plant as soon as the plants flush the leaf must be plucked or it deteriorates to such an extent as to become valueless and at the next flush the plant will be found bare of the young leaves the delay of even a single day may be fatal the leaf when plucked must be roasted forthwith or it ferments and becomes valueless as is also the case in china there however the tea harvest occurs only four or five times a year but in india once a fortnight during some seven months of the year the number of workpeople required on a tea farm may be estimated from the figures given by dr rind who says that to manufacture eighty pounds of black tea per day twenty-five tea-gatherers are requisite and ten dryers and sorters to produce ninety-two pounds of green tea thirty gatherers and sixteen dryers and sorters from a tea-planter's life in assam we take the following account of work in a tea-garden after the soil has been deep-hoed and is quite ready transplanting from the nursery begins few men sow the seed at stake the nursery is made and carefully planted with seed on the first piece of ground that is cleared so that by the time the remainder of the garden is ready to be planted out the seed has developed into a small plant with strength enough to stand being transplanted holes are prepared at equal distances into which the young plants are carefully transferred the greatest caution is exercised in both taking them up and putting them in their new places that the root shall be neither bent up nor injured in any way for this work women and children are employed as it is light but requires a gentle hand to pat down the earth around the young plant 
it speedily accommodates itself to its new circumstances and thrives wonderfully if the weather is at all propitious a succession of hot days with no rain has a most disastrous effect on transplants their heads droop and but a small percentage will be saved which means that most of the work will have to be done over again once started plenty of cultivation is the only thing required to keep the plant healthy and it is left undisturbed for a couple of years to increase in size and strength at the end of the second year when the cold season has sent the sap down the pruning knife disposes it of its long straggling top shoots and reduces it to a height of four feet every plant is cut to the same level the third year enables the planter to pluck lightly his first small crop year succeeds year and the crop increases until the eighth or ninth year when the garden arrives at maturity and yields as much as it ever will during the rains the gong is beaten at five o'clock every morning and again at six thus allowing an hour for those who wish to have something to eat before commencing the labors of the day in the cold weather the time for turning out is not so early even the eastern sun is lazier and there is not so much work to get through few of the coolies take anything to eat until eleven o'clock when they are rung in the leaf plucked by the women is collected and weighed and most of the men have finished their allotted day's work by this time so they retire to their huts to eat the morning meal and to pass the remainder of the day in a luxury of idleness for the ensuing two or three hours there is perfect rest except for the unfortunate coolies engaged in the tea-house their work cannot be left and as fast as the leaf is ready it must be fired off else it would be completely ruined at two o'clock the women are turned out again to pluck and those men who have not finished their hoeing have to return to complete their task about six o'clock the gong sounds again the leaf is brought in weighed and spread and outdoor work is over for the day no change can be made in the tea-house work which goes on steadily and if there has been much leaf brought in the day before firing will frequently last from daybreak until well into the night or small hours of the morning at present however the greater proportion of tea consumed in england comes from china and japan which produce no less than three hundred and twenty five million pounds annually against fifty two million pounds by india india may be the tea country of the future but china still supplies nearly all the world millions of acres are devoted to its cultivation and the late dr wells williams states that the management of this great branch of industry exhibits some of the best features of chinese country life it is only over a portion of each farm that the plant is grown and its cultivation requires but little attention compared with rice and vegetables the most delicate kinds are looked after and cured by priests in their secluded temples among the hills these have often many acolytes who aid in preparing small lots to be sold at a high price but the same authority tells us 
that the work of picking the leaves in the first instance is such a delicate operation that it cannot be entrusted to women female labor is paid so badly that they cannot afford to exercise the gentleness which characterizes their general movements and when they come upon the scene of operations they make the best of their short harvest the second gathering takes place when the foliage is fullest this season is looked forward to by women and children in the tea districts as their working time they run in crowds to the middlemen who have bargained for the leaves on the plants or apply to farmers who need help they strip the twigs in the most summary manner remarks dr williams and fill their baskets with healthy leaves as they pick out the sticks and yellow leaves for they are paid in this manner fifteen pounds is a good day's work and fourpence is a day's wages the time for picking lasts only ten or twelve days there are curing houses where families who grow and pick their own leaves bring them for sale at the market rate the sorting employs many hands for it is an important point in connection with the purity of the various descriptions and much care is taken by dealers in maintaining the quality of their lots to have them cured carefully as well as sorted properly like hop picking in this country tea picking is very tedious work but its monotony is relieved by singing during the livelong day the songs of the hop pickers are not generally characterized by loftiness of tone or purity of sentiment but travelers in china speak highly of the songs of the tea pickers for instance dr williams quotes in his new book on the middle kingdom a ballad of the tea picker which he considers one of the best of chinese ballads if regard be had to the character of the sentiment and metaphors one or two verses will give an idea of this charming ballad where a thousand hills the vale enclose our little hut is there and on the sloping sides around the tea grows everywhere and i must rise at early dawn as busy as can be to get my daily labor done and pluck the leafy tea the pretty birds upon the boughs sing songs so sweet to hear and the sky is so delicious now half drowsy and half clear while bending o'er her work each maid will prattle of her woe and we talk till our hearts are sorely hurt and tears unstinted flow the method of curing is thus described when the leaves are brought into the curers they are thinly spread on shallow trays to dry off all moisture by two or three hours exposure meanwhile the roasting pans are heating and when properly warmed some handful of leaves are thrown on them and rapidly moved and shaken up for four or five minutes the leaves make a slight crackling noise become moist and flaccid as the juice is expelled and give off even a sensible vapor the whole is then poured out upon the rolling table when each workman takes up a handful and makes it into a manageable ball which he rolls back and forth on the rattan table to get rid of the sap and moisture as the leaves are twisted this operation chafes the hands even with great precaution the balls are opened and shaken out and then passed on to other workmen who go through the same operation 
till they reach the headman who examines the leaves to see if they have become curled when properly done and cooled they are returned to the iron pans under which a low charcoal fire is burning in the brickwork which supports them and they are kept in motion by the hand if they need other rolling on the table it is now given them an hour or more is spent in this manipulation when they are dried to a dull green color and can be put away for sifting and sorting this color becomes brighter after the exposure and sifting the cured leaves through sieves of various sizes they are also winnowed to separate the dust and afterwards sorted into the various descriptions of green tea finally the finer kinds are again fired three or four times and the coarser kinds as twanke hyson and hyson skin once the others furnish the young hyson gunpowder imperial etc tea cured in this way is called lucha or green tea by the chinese while the other or black tea is termed hung cha or red tea each name being taken from the tint of the infusion after the fresh leaves are allowed to lie exposed to the air on the bamboo trays overnight or several hours they are thrown into the air and tossed about and patted till they become soft a heap is made of these wilted leaves and left to lie for an hour or more when they have become moist and dark in color they are then thrown on the hot pans for five minutes and rolled on the rattan table previous to exposure out of doors for three or four hours on sieves during which time they are turned over and opened out after this they get a second roasting and rolling to give them their final curl when the charcoal fire is ready a basket shaped something like an hourglass is placed endwise over it having a sieve in the middle on which the leaves are thinly spread when dried five minutes in this way they undergo another rolling and are then thrown into a heap until all the lot has passed over the fire when this firing is finished the leaves are opened out and are again thinly spread on the sieve in the basket for a few minutes which finishes the drying and rolling for most of the heap and makes the leaves a uniform black they are now replaced in the basket in greater mass and pushed against its sides by the hands in order to allow the heat to come up through the sieve and the vapor to escape a basket overall retains the heat but the contents are turned over until perfectly dry and the leaves become uniformly dark when this process is completed every nerve is strained to put the tea into the market quickly and in the best possible condition for although it is said that the chinese do not drink it until it is a year old the value of new tea is superior to that of the old and the longer the duration of a voyage in which a great mass of tea is packed up in a closed hold the greater the probability that the process of fermentation will be set up hence has arisen the great strife to bring the first cargo of the season to england and the fastest and most skilfully commanded ships are engaged in the trade both for the profit and honor of success dr e smith in authority upon the subject 
showed that the value of tea is determined in the market by its flavor and body, by the aromatic qualities of its essential oil and the chemical elements of the leaf, rather than by the chemical composition of its juices. Delicacy and fullness of flavor with a certain body are the required characteristics of the market. The same authority tells us that the tea taster prepares his samples from a uniform and very small quantity, that is, the weight of a new sixpence, and infuses it for five minutes with about four ounces of water in a covered pottery vessel. And in order to prevent injury to his health by repeated tasting, does not swallow the fluid. He must have naturally a sensitive and refined taste, should always be in good health and able to estimate flavor with the same minuteness at all times. End of chapter 2